For our scripture reading tonight, we will be reading Philippians chapter 2. Our focus tonight will be on verses 19 to 30. We will read the whole chapter for context. It will be referenced multiple times in the sermon. That's on page 1248 and 1249 in the Bibles. Philippians chapter 2, then starting at verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. And now our text. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all, has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, 
Therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So far the reading of God's word. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, I wonder how many of you have heard the phrase, it's not about what you know, but it's about who you know. The sentiment behind that phrase being that if you know the right people, they have a good opinion of you, they are able to contribute to your success in any endeavor you might be on. You still need to know a thing or two about what it is that you're pursuing. But if someone is able to put in a good word for you, it can open doors for you by the way of jobs or career opportunities. The sentiments of this phrase contributed to how I got to the location of my summer internship this past year. Some of you may know Reverend Davis, from, formerly from the Linwood URC. He's now out in Calgary area. His daughter, Sarah, goes to church with us in Linwood. And when he was speaking with her before summer internships were assigned, he asked which seminarians were at Linwood this year. She mentioned my name, including the last name, Vanderlei. And Pastor Davis recognized that name because my younger sister had gone to a youth conference for his church had supported a number of years back. So since Reverend Davis heard the name Vanderlei and he recognized it, with council's permission, they extended an invitation to us to go serve with them this past summer. Excuse me. Lord willing, I was able to show throughout the summer that the Lord gave me the beginnings of the ability to bring his word faithfully. But this is an example of having someone who uh, knew about me and how it benefited me. See, just a few days before Reverend Davis called the seminary to request us as their interns... Lindsay and I had resigned ourselves to the fact that because of the border situation, we probably weren't going to serve anywhere except for a church in the United States for this year. That was on a Friday. And then on Monday, Calgary called. It just went to show that it's not about what we know, but it's about God's plan for our lives. This evening, we're going to look at two examples well, first of all, two examples, and then we'll look at Paul. But two examples of two men who were blessed by who knew of them. These two men are Timothy and Epaphroditus. The man who knew of them, the Apostle Paul. In this closing section of chapter 2, Paul writes two short sections to the Philippians, giving them glowing letters of recommendation for Timothy and Epaphroditus. Our sermon title will be just that, Paul's Letters of Recommendation, and in it, we'll look at three points. First, Timothy, the spiritual son. Second, Epaphroditus, the faithful messenger. And third, we will look at Paul, the selfless sender. So, in order, Timothy, Epaphroditus, and then Paul. As we approach this text, it is truly amazing if we look at the praise that is heaped on Timothy from the apostle. The affection that is shared between these two men is clearly visible on the pages. In verses 19 to 24, Paul spares no praise when he talks about his young friend. He says, I have no one else like him. Those are the words Paul uses to describe Timothy and what a description that is. You see, Paul has other Christians nearby in Rome. 
He talked about them in chapter 1 when he contrasted Christians who preached faithfully and those who preached more or less to needle Paul while he was in prison. Paul's also been on missionary journeys. He's been with Luke. But he saves these words for Timothy. Paul says there is no one that he's around that is equal to Timothy. Timothy fulfills all the requirements that Paul has been laying out for the Philippians to follow in the preceding portions of the book. Even the requirements that he laid out in the first three verses of chapter 2. Timothy fulfills all these and he does it from a heart that is overflowing with the love of Christ. Paul says that Timothy not only looks out for the interests of others and the interests of Christ, but he does so genuinely. Timothy exhibits the characteristics that I am to strive after as an aspiring pastor and ones that should be modeled by the elders and the other office bearers, the deacons and the pastor in Christ's church. We who are called or are being called to the ministry should seek after these types of attributes. They should be ones that would be used to describe us. We could learn a lot from the young man Timothy. This is a young man who is so faithful to the gospel of Christ that he is considered Paul's right-hand man, his closest confidant, his most trusted ally. Paul says at the end of the section that he hopes to send, Tim send Timothy to the Philippians, but only after he learns what will happen to him in the Roman prison. This again is a very telling sentence when it comes to the character of Timothy. Not only is he so loved by Paul, so much that Paul won't let him go unless he knows what is going to happen to himself, but also Paul will trust no one else to deliver the news of either, either his execution or his pending release. Think about that for a minute. Timothy is suspected to be about 30 to 35 years old at this time. It's around my age, some of the other men here. But Paul says that already he is a natural shepherd to the flock of Christ, who cares for them with a heart that is compassionate and genuine. And he is the one Paul entrusts with this weighty task. This humbles, motivates me, and I hope it does to you as well, for any young men or even some of the older men here. You see, our culture does not place much responsibility on young men. In fact, it values young men as those who are supposed to be full of fun and free from responsibility. Young men are supposed to sow their wild oats and be given every opportunity to make bad decisions with no repercussions. Any bad decisions are chalked up to boys will be boys and they'll grow out of it. We could continue on about the low expectation of our world for young men, but what does the Bible teach? When I've preached before on children obeying their parents from the law, I've been able to point out that in the Old Testament, there were very strict punishments for young men who were lazy, stubborn, or disrespectful. The Bible says they were to be stoned. They were to be put to death if they ignored their parents' advice, if they were lazy, stubborn, or gluttonous. In the New Testament, Paul writes in the letter to Titus that the young men are to be taught self-control, integrity, seriousness, soundness of speech. 
All of these are qualities that Timothy models according to Paul, and these are what we are called to as well. But these accolades for Timothy aren't just for the young men to strive after and seek to emulate. Young men do not just come to these qualities by themselves. They are raised up to embrace these character traits by parents who love them. It's recorded in 2 Timothy that he was raised in the faith by his mother and his grandmother. This faith was, quote, taught to him in his infancy, and so he made it his own. Paul, seeing the faith of Timothy, has since meeting him, taken him under his wing as a son of sorts. He's taught him what he says in 2 Timothy 3, all about my teachings, my ways of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, and sufferings. So fathers and mothers, are you raising up sons like this? Do you teach your sons the way of the faith from their infancy? Do you tell them of the way that they should go so that someday, Lord willing, they may be able to be trustworthy messengers of the gospel? We don't believe that we do this ourselves. We believe that the Spirit works in their hearts. But there are clear instructions in Scripture that God entrusts us with the responsibility of raising our children in the fear of the Lord. And so we don't leave out the young ladies here. I ask you this. Are you seeking out a spouse or dating someone that models these attributes? Is the young man that you are interested in someone that your father, both your earthly and your heavenly father, would trust? Someone who looks to serve others before himself. Someone who looks for ways to serve in the church. Or is he just handsome and he makes you laugh? Those are good things, but they are not as important as the other qualities that are modeled by Timothy. You don't have to look for a future pastor to marry. My wife did not do that. She thought she was marrying a truck driver. But you should be looking for a boy who won't stay a boy, but instead one who is looking to grow into a man, a man of God. Paul's final note on Timothy is his proven worth as a faithful preacher of the gospel. Paul writes that Timothy has proven himself as a son who has learned faithfully from a father. And that son is now working alongside his father, contributing and spreading the good news of Christ. Timothy is not just an apprentice or an understudy of Paul. Paul says that he's working for him and he has served with me. Not that Timothy serves under him. This makes a big difference because in those times a son would have been responsible to work under and obey his father. Paul, though, explains to the Philippians that Timothy is no longer just a studious apprentice, but he's a faithful pastor. He's graduated at the top of his class as one who has no equals in the eyes of Paul. Paul says he is a genuine shepherd who cares for the sick and the needy and one who seeks to do the will of Christ in all that he does. Although we are not all called to be pastors, elders, and deacons in the church, we can all strive after the same Christ-like attributes modeled by Timothy. We are called to be trustworthy, caring, striving to do the will of Christ. By doing so, we are able to be a blessing to God's people. We are able to faithfully perform our role in the church 
and we bring praise and glory to Christ by our faithful witness to him. So Timothy has been promised to the Philippians as a forerunner to Paul's hopeful return. He has been given the most glowing letter of recommendation that is likely to be found anywhere in the Bible. Paul makes sure that the Philippians know that his love for them is evident in his desire to be with them again and his sending of his best man in case he cannot. Now we switch to the second man mentioned in these verses, Epaphroditus, the faithful messenger. If we aren't careful as we read these ones, we can skip right over the weight of praise heaped on this man as well. Paul again does not skimp on any of the great qualities that Epaphroditus exhibits. There's a building of praise that begins with Paul's description of Epaphroditus as a brother. Then it goes on to talk about his familial, well, sorry. It talks about his brother, which is reserved for just the familial bond that is evident among all the Christians. He is his brother in Christ. As it goes on, it talks about how Epaphroditus is his fellow worker and his fellow soldier. They not only work together, which can hold a very strong bond, but they stand next to each other in the battle. They fight alongside of one another for the gospel. Epaphroditus is not just seen as a man with a message, but he's a spiritual leader in the church. He is sent to come alongside Paul, to fight with him in the battle for Christ's kingdom. From there, Paul uses the word apostolon to describe Epaphroditus' work with him. This is where we get the title apostle from. Paul doesn't use this to actually title Epaphroditus as an apostle, but instead he is recognizing that Epaphroditus is sent out to bring the good news. And Paul says that the good news he brings ministers to Paul's needs. Likely the reason that Paul reaches the climax of his praise for Epaphroditus as a minister to Paul's needs is that originally Epaphroditus' mission was to serve alongside of Paul. His being there was a sacrifice by the church in Philippi, as one of their spiritual leaders has to be gone now for a time. But now Epaphroditus is being sent back to them. They have heard that he was sick. But look at Epaphroditus' care for his church back home in Philippi. First of all, he was so intent on completing his mission for them that he nearly died in the process of doing it. He became ill, even being close to death, according to Paul. And this would have been a very long illness as well. If word had reached Philippi that Epaphroditus was sick, this illness would have been for a while. Because they had time to respond with concerns that he knew... Or, Sorry, let me rephrase that. If they had heard that he was sick, somebody had to make it all the way to Philippi to tell them. Then that message had to return all the way back to Rome where he was for him to be concerned about them hearing that he was sick. That journey by land is a few weeks walking. So likely over a month that Epaphroditus was ill. But even during this time, this extended illness... Paul writes to the Philippians that Epaphroditus was more concerned about them, likely upset that he might be disappointing them. Does this remind us of anything? Paul is once again showing that this man 
as well as Timothy, is modeling a true selfless love for others above himself. Paul wants the Philippians to know that Epaphroditus did indeed minister to his need, completing the task which with, with which he was sent, and he did so while forsaking himself and serving Christ's church. Paul, does, Paul sends Epaphroditus back to them, though, and he does so for the good of everyone involved. He does so because, first of all, Epaphroditus is worried about his church family. He wants to allay their anxiety. Second of all, Paul wants the Philippians to receive the comforts of having their brother, their faithful messenger, back with them. And third, Paul wants to feel less anxious. Before we get to Paul's odd feeling of anxiety, we have to understand something about Paul's words of praise for Epaphroditus. Paul gives direct orders about the treatment that he expects for Epaphroditus when he returns to Philippi. Paul is not naive. He realizes that if Epaphroditus is back unexpectedly, possibly earlier than was intended, there may be murmurings, whisperings, wondering in the church whether Epaphroditus was faithful to his message. Paul puts all that down with a resounding stroke of his pen. He commands them to welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor such men because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Now think of those men who serve faithfully among us. Elders and deacons, different ministers in the churches in the area. But not only among us, but think of the men who take up their families and move to far-off countries to share the word of Christ to people who have never heard it. People like the missionaries that we support all over the world. These servants of Christ are called to be honored by us, remembered in our prayers, and yes, even in our financial considerations. These people have placed what the world would expect of them behind them, and instead they have pursued the calling of Christ. Here in Paul's praise of Epaphroditus, we are called as well to remember men and women in our own times who are faithfully serving the kingdom of God far away from their homes. But now we move into our third point, from Epaphroditus to Paul. Paul, the selfless sender. As I mentioned, we might be confused as to why Paul sends Epaphroditus back to alleviate anxiety. It would seem now, if Epaphroditus is traveling this long road back to Philippi, that his health is no longer in jeopardy. So what exactly is it that makes Paul anxious? Again, we go back to verse 4 of chapter 2. Paul clearly has a sacrificial, a brotherly love and appreciation for Epaphroditus. He says that the man has completed his work. He has done so well. Epaphroditus has fulfilled his mission. In the face of sickness and worry of his church back home, and he has ministered to the needs of the Apostle Paul. Paul no doubt has appreciated the presence of another faithful servant of Christ, considering the statement he made back in verse 21 about his other friends who only seek their own interests. Epaphroditus obviously does not fit 
that category. So Paul no doubt would love to have him stay and continue with Paul in his difficulties and trials. But that's not what Paul is called to do, is it? Paul isn't supposed to be seeking his own interests, but instead he cannot help but fulfill the Christ-like quality that he has called for from the others. Paul writes, I think it is necessary to send him back, and I am all the more eager to send him. He writes these because he knows that it will be better for Epaphroditus and better for the Philippians if they are reunited again. Selfless love, recognition of the needs of others, is the mark of the Spirit working in the hearts of believers. And these three men we look at today have all shown that in their lives. Timothy is shown to Paul and the others around that his love for God's people is genuine and he is faithful to the ministry of God's word. Epaphroditus has faithfully performed the task given to him, even risking his life for the work of Christ, and he's been a shining example of care and concern for Christ's church in the process. And Paul, the faithful apostle of Jesus Christ, who's been in prison for proclaiming the good news faithfully, he is more concerned about the well-being of Epaphroditus and the Philippians than he is about keeping a faithful ally and friend close. Not only that, but as he awaits news, he promises the Philippians that no matter what awaits him by way of Roman court and law, that he will dispatch his most beloved spiritual son to them as soon as possible to assure that they are well cared for. Surrounded by disappointments, restrictions, Paul models a selfless attitude that is almost hard to believe. We who live in a world of luxuries and blessings too innumerable to count have to strain to understand the type of sacrifice that Paul is making. Paul is truly more concerned about the well-being of the Philippians than he is for himself. Paul truly wants for them to lack nothing and to have every reason to rejoice. So he gives up the precious few things that he has in order to bring comfort and joy to his brothers and sisters in Christ. Like the widow who gave the last two coins that she had into the offering plate, Paul gives of everything that he can. Contrary to the rich young ruler who couldn't give up his earthly possessions to follow Christ, Paul can't hold on to anything, lest it should inhibit someone from following Christ. Following in the footsteps of his Savior, who lost his closest friends and allies in pursuit of winning salvation for his elect, Paul promises to send his closest friends and allies in order to preserve the faith of the believers. Timothy pursued holiness at a young age faithfully executed his calling to serve God's kingdom. Epaphroditus traveled hundreds of miles in order to bring encouragement and service to Paul, risked his life in service for Christ's kingdom, and longed to comfort those whom he had left. Paul gave up everything he could, everything he could, in order to serve Christ's church, including his friends and his closest allies. All of these men, exhibited selfless service to Christ's church. 
And Paul was anxious because he felt like he was failing by keeping Epaphroditus close. Brothers and sisters, I ask you, what are you willing to give up in service to Christ's kingdom? We have been given freedom from our sins, promised eternal life in unspeakable joy. So what are we willing to give up? Are we willing to give up praise and honor to those who faithfully serve Christ's kingdom? Are we willing to make ourselves vulnerable, truly encourage, pray for, and support men and women who bring gospel messages to lands far from home? Or even more, are you men, young or old, willing to leave home, or brothers and sisters or family, for the sake of the kingdom of God? If you are called to the ministry of Christ's kingdom, would you be able to leave in order to do so? Do we value service to God's kingdom or is that just something for someone else to do? We all have a position to fill in God's kingdom, men and women alike. There were women who followed Jesus and ministered to him as well. So today... As we go forth into this watching world this work week, we should remember that we are called to his service first. We are called to be genuinely concerned for the welfare of others, putting the needs of others first and pursuing the will of Christ, faithfully serving in the work of the gospel, whatever that facet may be. We are called to be brothers and sisters in Christ, co-workers and fellow soldiers in our battles against the evil one, we are called to minister to one another's needs, to sacrifice of ourselves for the benefit of others, just as these men did, or more accurately, as Christ did. Truly, the message of this part of the letter is showing us and the Philippians the wonderful qualities of these three men. But more than that, Paul is pointing us towards Christ. Timothy, Epaphroditus, and even Paul himself are only mimicking the actions of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. While we can definitely learn from these brothers who lived so long ago, we are called to look past them to Christ, the perfect shepherd who tenderly, lovingly, and genuinely cared for all of his sheep perfectly, the one who left heaven to come and minister to all of our needs and who loved us so much that he did, in fact, die in his service on our behalf the one who left us here in order that the Holy Spirit might be sent to minister to our hearts in our times of need and to comfort us in our times of doubt and struggle. He brings us to a saving faith in Christ Jesus by realigning our desires to instead pursue righteousness. This is the one who we ultimately look to. This is the one who we wait for to return. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Amen. Will you join me in prayer? Father, as we contemplate these words tonight, we ask that you would bind them upon our hearts, that you would convict us, that you would mold our hearts and our lives, that we too would pursue service in your kingdom, whatever that facet may be. 
whether it be on a job site, in the fields, in an office, or at home raising covenant children, we ask that you would realign our desires, that they would be more in line with Christ Jesus, who gave up everything in service of your kingdom. This we ask in Jesus' name.